Motivation is not a trustworthy emotion. <laughs> I would go so far as to say is that we should be really wary of all emotions that we that we experience, <laughs> um, because I would put motivation more in that in that camp of an emotion that you experience. Um, I know that it's something like I've experienced myself. And if I just wrote my emotions, then I would maybe work out half the time that I work out, right? Because the reality is, is we don't always feel like moving, right? And that's, that can be super, you know, adaptive as well, because our bodies are like, um, no, I would rather stay in homeostasis and stay alive than feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Hello, hello. Welcome back, Neurohacker community. Jacqueline here, the producer for the Collective Insights podcast, and I'm the one behind the scenes with planning our show. This is episode number 54. So summer is coming to an end, and our motivation to have a beach body is likely dwindling. So how do we stay healthy and fit through all of the tempting treats in our fall and winter celebrations? Well, Amy Shank Morrison joins us to explain why motivation shouldn't be our driving force, and offers alternatives to get real results. She is a counselor, coach, trainer, and all-around mental wellness specialist, and she has some really cool insights to share with you today. Make sure you stay all the way to the end because we'll be announcing a giveaway that will offer an opportunity to work one-on-one with Amy. Thanks again for being with us on this podcast journey to spread information about optimizing human well-being for a better world and a better life. We just changed our release schedule, so instead of podcasts every two weeks on Wednesdays, we'll now be putting an episode out once a month on the 15th. Be sure to stay tuned for our next episode with Dr. Kelly Brogan. She is a holistic women's health psychiatrist, and she'll be joining us to discuss owning your power and creating thriving mental health. I want to share some of the reviews we've been getting on our podcast. If you haven't already, go leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people to find the podcast so we continue to grow and share more episodes with you. One of our listeners, jjuice 0 described the podcast as an auditory nootropic, which made me chuckle. If you didn't know already, one of the other things we do in the collective is produce a line of nootropic stacks called Qualia. Go to neurohacker.com to learn more. And as our gift to you, we're offering 15% off your first order using the code podcast 54. Without further ado, let's jump into the show. Here's Heather and Amy. Welcome to Collective Insights. I am your host today, Dr. Heather Sanderson, and I am so pleased to have Amy Morrison here today with us. Amy has a special offering in the wellness world. She has worked as a goal coach. She is a certified coach through extreme performance training, and she also pursued a master's in clinical mental health counseling in order to have the tools to communicate effectively with her clients. So she takes these very lucky participants through a variety of experiences so that they can find their true edge. In addition to ice baths and sauna sessions, they do breath work, mobility work, interpersonal coaching to learn what it is that they as an individual need to reconnect with their bodies. Lack of motivation or lack of vision can get in the way of reaching our fitness goals. So Amy integrates increased self-awareness and upward movement into her work. We have her here today to help us all out with a very with a very widespread reason why we all aren't fully reaching our fitness goals. It's the mindset behind it. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I feel so honored to be on this uh, podcast, and it's just a 
going to be so fun to talk with you today. Absolutely. I'm so looking forward to it. So share with us where you started. Why did you begin your work in wellness? And given gives us like a, the play-by-play of your fitness journey. You look, <laughs> I can see you. I have the pleasure of seeing you. Um, and you look like you're in really good shape. How'd you get there? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I was processing this the other day. It just, uh, it's interesting to think about our own journeys and what we've been through. But for me, you know, it's funny to think about, I, was raised actually in a really big family. I'm the fifth of seven kids. So I, um, and I'm in between brothers. So I have one older brother and then I have two younger brothers and I have three older sisters. And I think that just has kept me active my whole life. Yeah. You've got to protect um, yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> got to keep it, keep it going, keep it real. But I, you know, it's interesting because, uh, it was always involved in like various sports, uh, and that kind of thing growing up, you know, but I feel like I got way more athletic and strong and confident after college. And part of that is honestly because after college, I was in my 20s and I got introduced to CrossFit through CrossFit Central in Austin. So I graduated with my um, with my degree from Austin, Texas, uh, UT Austin, uh, University of Texas in Austin, and uh, got connected to CrossFit Central. I was there for a few months and then I actually moved to Spain for three months and became uh, a nanny for a family. And while I was in Spain, I, um, you know, kind of still continued working out and stayed active, but I also basically ate everything I wanted to. <laughs> so when I came back from Spain in October of 2014, I believe, I, no, I'm sorry, 2011, I was in need of a change. And so I decided to go full on into the paleo diet. And honestly, for the last eight years, I've been working with my own body to decide, you know, to figure out what really works. So I've done a lot of, you know, in the past eight years, a lot of trial and error. Um, (laughs) I've done some things very well and other things not so, not so well for a long time. I, you know, kind of yo-yo dieted, right? Like I would, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gluten-free. And then I would, you know, go be the weekend and I would be like, okay, I'm not gluten-free anymore. (laughs) And, you know, I I can, you know, kind of have a free day, you know, and uh, I don't really like the term cheat day, but treat day, right? And so, uh, and then I would realize how much of an impact it had on my own mental wellness. So I think the biggest thing I've done in my wellness and fitness journey is to maintain activity just by doing things that are fun and keep me interested and by being very conscious of what I was eating and very, you know, aware of my diet. So those are two really big things that I've done in my own journey. And it's been, like I said, a lot of trial and error. Um, yeah. It with sounds my like the trip. trial and error really served you, right? Like every time you make a quote unquote error, you get more information. So you understand mm-hmm. what serves you and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always loved science growing up. I always loved doing little scientific experiments on my own at my house when I was a kid. And I think I've just maintained that sense of curiosity as I've gotten older. And so, you know, I'll try something and I'll do this and I'm like, Ooh, no, don't need to do that. You know, I feel like I've tried kind of a lot of different um, styles of eating. And, you know, I think for me, it's fun to see what really works. And I think that's part of the why of why I do this work is that I get really excited about teaching people that, you know, what do they need to do to optimize their health, right? And I think of wellness, I think it's kind of a term that's thrown around these days, that's, a you know, a little bit haphazardly, right? And, you know, for me, it involves 
mental wellness, physical wellness, spiritual wellness, you know, all these different aspects are woven into an overall idea of holistic wellness that I really strive for, for myself uh, first, right? And then I work with my clients to figure out what works really well for them, or even just, you know, the people that, you know, I get to connect with on social media or out in my community. Um, I love to help people figure out what works well for them and, you know, develop that through doing coaching back when I lived in Houston about five years ago, or, you know, even more than that. Yeah. Five, six years ago, I was doing some coaching there and then realized through that coaching that I was doing, I needed more tools. So that's why I went back and got my master's because I really believe in education and, I think, you know, you, whatever you need to do, whatever you want to do, you have to educate yourself. And for me, that meant going, getting my master's. So awesome. So tell me a little bit more about the tools that you use with your clients. You've got a pretty varied background with the coaching and the CrossFit, the fitness, and then psychology. What are the tools and how do you, how do you structure, like which tool do you use with which client and how do you decide? Oh, yes. This question, you know, we kind of processed it a little bit before it's a, it's a big question and I'm excited to answer it because what I want to introduce over, you know, this podcast is um, the a model of change that I utilize with my clients. And it's something that I've developed for my for myself, honestly, and for other people, uh, for my clients and for, you know, those that I work with. And I call it the mindful model of change because it begins and ends with awareness. So if you have done any research on stages of change or that kind of thing, like Prochaska's stages of change, you know, there's, um, you know, the pre-contemplation, contemplation, you know, all the different things. And so for me, what I've done is just kind of truncated that a little bit to make it very easy to digest whenever I explain it to clients. So first off, we have awareness. And I begin with awareness as a tool for my clients because I truly believe it's one of the ways that we can access deeper parts of ourselves and it allows us to really connect with the why, right? So you can understand why am I having this desire to do this to instead of do this, right? Like I wonder why I always reach for this comfort food whenever I feel this way, right? And so you just get very, very curious with yourself. You just begin to get aware, right? And I find that's most of the time, the first step that I take with clients, both coaching, counseling, you know, and personal training, right? Because I have those different silos of work that I do with people. And so right now, my counseling clients are my counseling clients. I see them in an office. It's pretty typical of what you would see, you know, kind of in a movie of, you know, sitting on the couches. And then with my coaching clients, it's all online. And with my personal training clients, it's in a gym. And then I do the group workshops as well. So we always begin with awareness and meeting yourself where you're at and then and move into compassion. So if you think of it like a cycle, right, you would have an arrow moving from awareness over to compassion and we go to compassion next because we've learned the why, right? And for a lot of people, it's because of childhood beliefs that they have about themselves, right? So, um, you know, like an example for me, is that oftentimes I notice that I struggle with 
intimacy, right? I struggle with feeling like I can open up to people. And a lot of that is because of being raised, you know, in a family of seven children. It's like, you just survive. Right? <laughs> you just keep your head above water. And, you know, for me, it wasn't, um, I didn't get that same amount of attention that some people probably get if you have a smaller family. And so, um, you know, for me, it's harder to get into those um, like for my personal work, it's, you know, something I've had to work really hard on is to didn't connect more intimately with myself. And so I can have compassion on myself for that because I'm, I'm able to say, Oh, I was never taught. Like I just wasn't, wasn't taught that, you know, or it, did, it wasn't, didn't resound, you know, in my head. And I have amazing parents. Right. And so this work isn't about making your family look bad. It's about just getting connected to like, Oh, I just didn't know. I just didn't know how yeah, to do understanding that. your strengths and weaknesses and and your mm-hmm. perspective and that it's unique and different from others and maybe you can yeah. complement. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so if we, you know, kind of can get that compassion towards ourselves and I the way I do it with clients in session and do it in, you know, my coaching and counseling clients are we do a lot of breath work and mindfulness around accepting and receiving compassion, especially towards that maybe that younger self that's coming up. Um, so I do, you know, that inner child work is if, you know, if we have some some therapy junkies out there, um, you know, so we do that. And moving from compassion, we can actually start stepping into realistic action. So we've got awareness, compassion, then we go into action, right? And so we are starting that cycle. And if so, if, you know, awareness is at the top, we've got compassion and then action. And I always, you know, tell clients, we filter our action through compassion. So what does that mean? Does that mean that you decide you want to change? And so, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to sign up for a marathon. Um, okay, well, but you haven't ran in five years, (laughs) you know? So like, let's be real, like, let's be compassionate about what you actually need to do. Right. And so, you know, for some people it might mean taking much smaller steps than they think they should do. Right. Because for so many people they they get aware of a problem and they're like, okay, give me the action. Give me, give me some change. I need to do it now. And I'm like, okay, whoa, (laughs) slow down. Um, you know, so within that action, we step into some habit change, some environmental change that, that needs to occur. You know, so maybe, you know, the tools that we use in that would be journaling, recognizing, oh, what do I need to kind of add in, right? Do I need to add in some water? Do I need to add in, you know, some cues to remind me to, you know, make sure my bed is made every day, right? Like even these like little changes that can truly impact people's lives. And then from there, we can see behavior change. And so that's kind of the final final step you could see in this stage of change is just the fact that behavior change is, is the last piece that comes into play. And that's where we see almost like this, um, degree of elevation we get over the problem. So if you think about, or the issue or the pain point, right, we have, we have awareness, we have compassion, action, behavior change, right? It's in this circle. And then in the middle is our problem or issue, you know, and, we, we never are able to completely get rid of that, in my opinion, right? We're always going to be working with some issues of pain, um, you know, whether it's um, our past or what's going on. You know, I think that, you know, what I tell people is, especially if they deal with severe anxiety, severe depression, right? Um, you know, you're, you're going to have some tendencies towards those things. But what we get to do through this work is gain elevation on them. 
right? To gain elevation, to gain an understanding, you know, and hopefully get so, so high up over that problem that we really feel healed. Like we really feel good and in our bodies and ready to, you know, just live our lives in the way that we're meant to. Um, so that's kind of the main overarching tool that I use, right? <laughs> yeah. That mindset, that behavior, you know, that model. Um, but awareness, I would love, you know, compassion, if you have questions about action. it. Okay. Yeah. So awareness, mm-hmm. compassion, action, and then just kind of going back through that cycle whenever an issue arises. Is that what I understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I need clients to like camp out in awareness, right? Mm-hmm. They're ready to like move on. And I'm like, okay, well, can you receive some compassion? No, no, I just I can't receive it okay, like, let's say in awareness, let's say in that, you know, I'm not going to give you a bunch of tools. I'm not going to give you a bunch of homework if you're not even able to have compassion on yourself for where you're at right now. Uh, so, yeah. There, there's a lot of freedom in that, it sounds like, right? It, it's like instead of getting straight to action, working with a personal trainer who's like, you got to do so many reps of this and you got to be training for that. It's mm-hmm. like, all right, let's take that step back and collect more information. You've already said, be curious. There's a ton of freedom Mm -hmm. and way more space for growth. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the way that shows up a lot for my personal training clients is I'll just connect with them. How's your day going? Like, how'd you sleep? You know, what was it like? Oh, it sounds like we need to be a little easier on you today. Great. And so I just adjust, right? And so, um, and that's what's going to cause that long-term behavior change because, you know, we're not looking for five-minute abs or how to change your body in six weeks. Like, people I work with, I'm like, I want to know what your 70 year old self looks like. Mm -hmm. I want to get connected to who you want to be, you know, forever, right? (laughs) This is, this is it. This is your home. Like, how do you love and care for it right now? Because, you know, I don't, I don't care how many pushups you can do. Like, I want to get you strong, but I also want you to be, you know, holistically well. Yeah. So you've, um, you've talked about teaching clients to befriend their nervous system, what mm-hmm. is what do you mean by that? Yeah, I love that question. So I I think of it in the sense of how do you connect with your body and how do you know when your nervous system is reacting and when do you know whenever your nervous system is uh, maybe dysregulated or um you know, if we even think of it in terms of hypo or hyperactive, hyperactive, right? When are things feeling really ramped up? And when am I so disengaged that I'm not even connected with my, my social environment? And so it's, and I think I use the word friend because or I really enjoy this term. I've seen it written. I've seen other people write about it. Um, you know, so it's not something I've personally just come up with, you know, <laughs> out of thin air. So, um, I, you know, for me, I feel like what it looks like is a tenderness, a softness towards your body, you know, in addition to that awareness. So it kind of looks like the awareness and compassion pieces put into play as it relates to your nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so what that like looks like a lot of times is that I give so like, psychoeducation around the autonomic nervous system so that clients and, you know, kind of bring in polyvagal theory as well so that clients can understand when they when they are in that sympathetic, intense, you know, fight flight mode, um, or even if they're just having a low grade anxiety and they're not regulated, they're not calmed down, you know, how can they bring themselves to a state where they are in that social engagement system as Stephen Porges, you know, from the polyvagal theory would talk about in that regulated state. So a lot of the work I do with 
all of my clients is about self-regulation and that all ties in with be, you know, befriending the nervous system. Do you use ice baths and saunas? I know we mentioned that in your bio, and I think these are a couple of the, the tools in your back pocket. Can you describe how that fits into your model and into this idea of befriending the nervous system? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I love using ice baths and, and sauna, you know, to work with people and uh, the sauna to, you know, work with people. And I was able to get introduced to this work about two years ago. I got connected to a company called XPT. You kind of mentioned it in my bio. So stands for extreme performance training. And it was founded by Gabby Reese and Laird Hamilton, who wanted to create a way to help people, you know, be in their body, be active for as long as possible, right? So they are, they walk off, work off of the three pillars of breath, movement, and recovery. And, you know, this work with XPT has allowed me to learn so much about those three pillars that, um, it's been just an incredible piece of my career. And so within that you know, is where I first was put into an ice bath myself, right? And so I experienced cold exposure before, but um, <laughs> for me, you know, it's interesting. I've dealt with um, anxiety. I've dealt with asthma. I have a deviated septum. I have all of the excuses, right, to not breathe well. And um, <laughs> it's interesting because the work that I've done in the ice has been the most impactful thing for me to change my relationship to my breath. So I love using it for clients to help them connect to their bodies. And so we know that the physiology of being in an ice bath is, you know, it's, it's, there's a pretty incredible physiological response. You know, we, we experience that like vasoconstriction, you know, every, you know, blood, blood kind of flows into the midline. We have that sympathetic response and then you get out and the blood flows out. Um, I don't know if you've been, I'm sure you've been in an ice bath. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Hot and cold water too. therapies. Yeah. Um, you know, my training is in naturopathic medicine, and so that's a lot mm -hmm. of my lineage and the, the Eastern European um, natural medicine, so to speak. Uh, that influence into naturopathic medicine is very much steeped in this hot and cold water therapies, these hydrotherapies and contrast hydrotherapies. And I couldn't agree with you more. Like People who have committed to doing a, some sort of contrast hydrotherapy, it is profoundly effective. And it's so nice because it's mm -hmm. one of these tools that it's totally free, right? It just takes mm -hmm. time and like the willingness mm -hmm. to get wet and cold and hot, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. But yeah. as far as it like healing processes, blood flow, mm -hmm. like you said, autonomic balancing, so many things get so much better. And it's, I love it because it's so simple. And so it really, I'm enthused that you also use it as one of your primary tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I use it specifically with ice um, for self-regulation. So I, it's a mental battle, right, to even get into the ice. Um, you know, you step on the edge, and I experience it every time. I'm like, okay, like try to bargain with myself, like how long am I going to go in? You know, okay, and then I'm finally like, okay, just do it, just go. You know, and so I get in and I'm able to self-regulate. And um, I I think it's been really beautiful and incredible to see what happens when you give people the space to step into something that's uncomfortable. They, um, I've had clients cry. I've had clients experience big releases just from choosing to get into the ice and choosing to do something challenging. And I've had people tell me, you know, weeks after doing one session that they're like, Hey, I use that breath work when I was in that stressful situation. And it helped me a lot. You know, I had someone who experienced a big, 
response to being um, in a dentist chair, right? And they were able to bring in the breath work, which is so cool. So um, yeah, that's a piece of it. I have another piece of the physiology if you want more kind of like the science behind it, but um, yeah, I, I love that's that. My favorite and, aspect. and some more specifics about the breath work that you use. Is it is it like Wim Hof inspired or do you have a, a different type of breath work that you use? Yeah, absolutely. So the breath work that I follow, like the, I guess, the style of breath work that I follow is actually more related to XCT. And the way that they explain it is under the categories of like mechanics of breathing, um, kind of the mental aspect of breathing and what happens. And then the, um, like chemical, you know, that what's happening in your body, um, whenever you work with your breathing patterns. So that's blood gases, right? It's like the chemical piece of it. And then we've got the mental aspect. And so that would be more like mindfulness or, you know, that kind of that piece of breath work and then the mechanics of the breathing as well. So when I talk about client, you know, when I talk about breathing and when I, when I teach uh, workshops, I usually pick one thing that I want to talk about because, um, it can get really overwhelming for people whenever you just start throwing all of this information at people. But, um, so the, the way that XPT teaches it is related to those, um, those three pillars. I believe that's what it is. Um, and what I love about it is we get into the mechanics you know, what's happening in your diaphragm when you breathe, what's happening in your rib cage. Do you have any expansion at all? You know, are you using your nose? Are you using, you know, your nose in the way that it's meant to be used to be able to facilitate, uh, you know, breath that is, you know, filtered, you know, warmed up for your lungs and you know it's actually kind of restricts the amount of air that gets into your lungs so that you can alter your blood gases as well and just simply choosing to do that impacts your mental state so you know if you think about like all those beautiful pieces they all combine in a really interesting way can you take us through uh, can you guide us through some breath work that you would so say you have somebody getting an ice bath like what Mm -hmm. would you direct them to do in terms of their breathing Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, all right, so we're going to step up to the side of this ice bath. I want you to put one hand on your chest, one hand on your belly. Give me three to five really good deep breaths where you're breathing into your belly. You know, go through that. And then if someone's, you know, and I'll say, okay, so now you're going to step into the ice bath. I've, you know, explained it up to that point, what we're doing. Step in, dunk under, get your shoulders up you know, behind, you know, up onto the edge of the ice bath. And then at first, most people kind of lose their breath when they get in, you know, so they'll get that big sympathetic (gasps) response. And so they're going to go straight to mouth breathing. So what I just tell them is as soon as you can, right in that moment, I'll just say, okay, nasal in mouth out, right? So, so big breaths responding to the stimulus. And, you know, because the reality is I'm not going to be able to just be like, okay, nasal only shut your mouth, you know, because people have that big response um, that's more sympathetic when they open their mouth. And so we go into nasal inhale, mouth exhale, if we can, right? And I do it with them. I Sometimes I'll place like a hand on their arm so they feel more grounded. And then we, that usually takes some people about 30 seconds, 30 seconds to a minute to, to begin to regulate. And then we'll switch to nasal only, you know, if they can in the ice bath. So we would go and then long drawn out exhale. Mm -hmm. 
and everyone's pace is going to be a little different, but what you want is the exhale to be double the length of the inhale. And so that's just going to signal to the body that it's okay, we're in control, you're safe, right? You're never going to really get fully out of that sympathetic response because you're in a really cold tub. Mm -hmm. But as close as we can get to that sense of mental meditation and control, the more impactful it's going to be, you know, for that side of it. So powerful. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that you've taken this uncomfortable situation and it's practice for the rest of life, right? Like uncomfortable Mm -hmm. situations come up whether you want it or not. And to, to get in that ice bath, work through it, and then be able to take those tools outside of the bath is, is great. How do you pair that with the saunas? Yeah, so the sauna is a, a really great way for us to get back into the ice. <laughs> so <laughs> we get to warm. I know, I know, don't laugh. But I love, I love getting. In, I have a barrel sauna in my backyard. I also have an infrared sauna. Um, so I love getting into the sauna post workout for you know creating that stress response. But the, what I love about using the sauna in workshops is the physiological benefits of asana are that you increase that blood flow, right? We see it happen cardiovascularly, that it's very good for heart health to, they call it sauna bathing, right? Sauna bathe for, you know, in the, in the literature, you know, for I think four to four to seven times a, a week is what they've studied for people who are in like in Finland where they have them like in their kitchen, you know, they just have them <laughs> everywhere. Um, so, you know, the cool thing is, is that we use the sauna for our work in our workshops to kind of facilitate that heat. And then, you know, to get them back heated up to the place where they feel, you know, that they can do another round in the ice. So I'll typically do two, you know, so they'll start in the ice, get into the heat, heat back up for, and I tell people to kind of get to a place where they feel uncomfortable. Because again, it's going to get to a spot in the heat where some people are going to heat up a lot faster than others. So they'll get 12 to 20 minutes in the heat. And it's a really beautiful parasympathetic reset as well, because you're warm, you're hopefully around people who are safe and that, you know, you get to engage with people socially uh, without a phone, you know, in front of your face because <laughs> it's, it's hard to carry one around when you're doing ice and heat. And then they can get back into the ice. And what I tell people in my workshops is we're going to do up to three to five minutes. If your limit is one minute, I'll pull you out. That's okay. But up to three to five minutes at the temperature, the temperatures that we're at. Makes sense. Is there anyone who you wouldn't recommend doing heat and cold therapies for? Oh, yeah. I love that question. Definitely. So this is something that you, if you have concerns about it, you talk with your doctor about it um, to make sure that, you know, your heart is good. But I, I've had people who um, have heart issues. I have someone who has a um, pacemaker who's gone through an ice bath and sauna session with me. But it is an extreme situation, right? So somebody who has... Um, high, high anxiety, someone who has severe sensitivity um, on their skin too cold, right? So you don't want to just throw them into the ice. And, you know, so in those situations, you know, what we would recommend, what I would recommend is, is to temper, right? So you kind of notice what, you know, if you can get comfortable with, you know, being in a cold shower or a cold finish, right, on your hot shower. So take your hot shower and then 30 seconds finish cold, right? Like that's what I do with most of my showers and it feels really good. And so, you know, get people acclimated and comfortable with it. And then uh, we do know with, I think, type 1, um, individuals with type 1 diabetes that it is something to be concerned about as well because 
there is some, you know, it's more painful, right, with um, blood flow and that kind of thing in, in the extremities. Um, so you don't want to just put someone into a painful situation just because you're like, this is good. You know, like, I don't, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, pain is always like, you know, the what we're seeking, right? It's just the reality of what is going to work for you. And if you're highly reactive, you know, with anxiety, if you have, you know, pretty severe physical issues, you're going to know already that, okay, I just need to be careful, um, with my body. Um, yeah. And I've, I've had some people with thyroid, um, problems that we've done, just been able to, um, just monitor how they're doing when they're in the ice. And what I always tell people is kind of like, let's see, right? Like, so if you don't have something that's extreme, like a severe heart issue or severe, um, uh, you know, just something like a severe anxiety, um, you know, symptom or that kind of thing where you're going to go straight into a panic attack, then let's kind of see, don't do a dunk, you know, step in, see if you can choose to sit down slowly. And if you can, okay, we'll stay there for 30 seconds and then get out. Right. So we get to kind of play with that and, and work with people. So yeah, this is how our conversation started, right? It's the trial and error of what works for you and figuring out like what are the pieces and how do they fit together for optimal yeah. health, right? Yeah, exactly. Do you think the source of motivation for getting into shape matters? So you're talking about asking people to do pretty hard things. And, and of course, you have it in the context of awareness and compassion. And um, it, it seems very grounded and holistic. But it's not always easy to get up day after day and, and go mm-hmm. through your routine and put this time aside and people travel and the holidays come up. And what, how do you fit motivation into this puzzle? Yes. So motivation is not a trustworthy emotion. <laughs> I would go so far as to say is that we should be really wary of all emotions that we, that we experience. <laughs> um, because I would put motivation more in that, in that camp of an emotion that you experience. Um, I know that it's something like I've experienced myself. And if I just wrote my emotions, then I would maybe work out half the time that I work out. Right. Because the reality is, is we don't always feel like moving, right? And that's, that can be super, you know, adaptive as well, because our bodies are like, um, no, I would rather stay in homeostasis and stay alive than feel uncomfortable. (laughs) So the reality is, is that we can't really trust always, you know, depending on motivation. So, you know, what I, what I would recommend instead is that we focus on environment. And there was a great book that came out. Um, the author, he wrote about, um, what is the name of the book? Motivation is, I just, I I feel like I remember it anyway. So just the concept of, yes, it is helpful, right. To have a why, you know, to have a overarching understanding of what you're working toward. Like for me with my own personal goals, with my fitness, I have this idea of being able to be active until I die. Right. And so that's big. That's a big vision. And you know, what, what gets me there is, um, I create, I've created an environment where I work out with friends. I do things that I enjoy. I don't put myself through things that are, you know, things are, are activities that are something or things that like are very difficult to motivate me to get to. So my gym is close to my house. I have friends who go there. I tell people I'm going right. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I've felt a you know, and so that to me is way more important than just feeling that sense of motivation. 
Yeah, well, it sounds like you've sort of hacked what are the things that drive you. So maybe the word isn't motivation, but if you tell somebody you're going and then you don't show up, it's like you value showing up for other people, right? And mm-hmm. Some people, it's like paying the subscription in advance or paying for the class in advance. And it's like they spent mm-hmm. the money, so now they got to go. Uh, yes. And sort of like yep. hacking what makes you show up um, can, putting it on the calendar, scheduling, right? Like there's all these <laughs> yeah. different things. And logistically, it yeah. sounds like that's a big piece of what you do is like you make it easy so it doesn't take extra time. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so mm-hmm. we discussed before this recording uh, in more about your counseling practice. And you share about your life with your counseling clients, which is a little controversial. You know, that's, that isn't Mm -hmm. the the conventional wisdom to do that. You give them access to your social media handles and, um, most therapists don't do that. So Mm -hmm. what are the benefits and drawbacks of sort of stepping off the pedestal of like being the professional and, Mm -hmm. and kind of getting down and dirty with your, your clients? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I will say that I am not like, uh, you know, I don't have, you know, like my social media handles like framed on the wall. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're in the sense that they are available to where somebody could kind of search and just find my Instagram account. I don't have, you know, a Facebook or a personal Instagram. So my Instagram is dedicated to providing information to people. And I do include some personal things as well. And so, um, you know, and with my clients in session, I use a lot of connection to the client and our relationship to facilitate their healing, right? Because what we know is a lot of issues that people deal with are related to relational issues. So if they're able to learn more about how they relate to me as their therapist, then it can be really powerful for how they can utilize that outside of the room. Uh, so, that's kind of, you know, I have a couple of clients, uh, who have talked about it, you know, talked about Instagram and that kind of thing. I had one client who was like, yeah, I don't follow you. And I was like, he was like, I just stopped, you know? And I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And then, um, you know, I have other people who've, who have, you know, talked about it and it's just not something that I'm like, Oh, follow me and, and watch all of my videos. Cause it will change you. You know, <laughs> they're like, I'm with you here. So we're good. Um, yeah, but I think it's really powerful to see, your the person that you you are you know kind of like giving some pieces of yourself to to see pieces of them as well so I think that that's something that I uh, truly enjoy about being relationally connected and as you kind of mentioned it, it takes me off of the pedestal because I get to say I mean I've some of the like interesting most interesting moments with clients this year have been me saying like oh yeah I struggle with that too right in the sense of you know, little things, you know, not obviously telling them my story, right. But like, you know, using it to where it's therapeutically beneficial for them. And they get this look on their face of like, Oh, you too. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm walking alongside you. We got this right. Like I don't, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out, you know, but I think the, so to me that would be, you know, the benefits, but I think the drawbacks are certainly like, there is this sense of anonymity you want to have with your therapist, right? Like you kind of want to go in and be able to know that they are a purely objective third party in the sense that they don't really know you outside of the room because there's kind of a beauty to being able to just be in that room and know that it's not going to be a a relationship you're going to have outside, right? That's why there's been a lot of 
um, legislation and, and whatnot and kind of ethics, ethical boundaries around dual relationships because of the sanctity of the therapeutic relationship. So I think it's a, it's a hard line to walk. You know, I don't think I always do it perfectly, but to me, I really value connecting with my clients in a deeper way. And for me, that looks like sharing more, a little bit more about myself or sharing my social media, you know, sharing on social media about myself, um, because that just feels very real and authentic for me. Yeah, it's a difficult thing to navigate and almost impossible to completely avoid at this point, right? With mm-hmm. with how ubiquitous social media is and, and how much of our lives we put on the internet. And so mm-hmm. it, it is an interesting, um, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with sort of the next generation of therapists and providers and how, how everyone navigates that. And also how patients choose to engage, right? And, and there's mm-hmm. going to be a variety across the board, I'm sure. Um, in terms of how engaged people want to get outside of that that therapeutic mm-hmm. relationship and in the room, um, mm-hmm. but you do yeah. group, you do group coaching, and and so there's even a dynamic that sort of shifts with that, right? Like you're you go from that one-on-one where privacy is really protected to having a group mm-hmm. experience, and we can have the same conversation. What are the benefits and drawbacks of sharing the mm-hmm. experience, uh, but losing some of the privacy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, the the people who experience the group, yeah, and it's actually interesting because you there was a podcast episode where the you were interviewing somebody and he talked about the benefits of group work, right, and talked about how much people can change and heal from doing work together, and I think that's been the coolest thing about doing these group workshops where I do breath work or um, you know the ice and heat is that there's always somebody who gets the number of somebody else. There's always somebody who, um, you know, struggles a little bit in the ice and everyone's cheering them on. That can be so healing to experience that love and support, you know, and everybody has a chance to connect emotionally in, in that, you know, in that, um, in that sauna. Right. So you're just like sitting in front of somebody in your swimsuit and you're like, well, what's, what's your life like? (laughs) And, you know, I think that's like one of the huge benefits of being, um, in the, that group environment. And I just get to be like on, I get to be the coach. I get to lead it. I get to encourage that communication and and connection. And, you know, through my introduction, through some breath work that we do in the group workshops, I think it truly facilitates a neat interaction where people kind of are able to feel, feel comfortable going a little bit deeper. So. Yeah, it's like that shared experience, that intense, especially intense shared experiences, right? Like I think a lot of us make friends in high school, which is an intense shared experience, right? And then you make mm-hmm. friends in college, yeah. another intense shared experience. And then, you know, yes. as you go through different either school programs or people who have gone off to war together, of course, like they think of themselves as each other, mm-hmm. think of each other as like brothers. And here you have some sort of... Um, it's sort of like that, right? Like the intensity of the cold and the heat and then the shared experience. I'm sure people really connect and you've got to get vulnerable. Plus you're in a swimsuit, right? Like how much more vulnerable can you get? <laughs> exactly. I know. Um, yeah. And I think people are really craving that, you know, in our yeah. environment today. They so desperately want to connect with other people. It's sort of and, the flip side of the yeah. social media conversation, right? It's like we're so connected, but it's all virtual and then mm-hmm. we miss that in-person real connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think, one of my favorite things about doing the group workshops is how people get to connect with other humans. Like, it's beautiful. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I love it. 
So what are some of the simple things that our listeners could do every day to optimize their motivation to exercise? So maybe not motivation is the right word, but like just that ability to show up. Yeah, sorry, I've kind of ruined that word for you in this <laughs> podcast. So. I know, and I keep we're, I keep reaching for it, so this is good. You're going to yeah. change my vocabulary. <laughs> no, and uh, you know the the thing that I would say is create and curate your environment to move toward health, right? So this is going to sound really silly, but like I'll park my car in the direction of my gym. Like my car is parked in that direction. So at 6 a.m. in the morning, I like walk out my door, I get in my car and I go the direction I need to go towards my gym. And so little simple habits, like I you know, leave my, my workout clothes out so I'm not searching for my clothes in the morning. Um, I tell people, you know, I have a friend that I work out with and she's, she's, a, she's been a great advocate for me to like maintain, you know, my fitness while I've been so busy. It's like having somebody with me. So it's not just like, one one thing, right? It's how do I optimize my environment to shift toward health? And so do I have a walking buddy? You know, do I know that, you know, this is like the outfit I'm going to wear to work out in? You know, it's those little things that they can really do um, to change their health. And honestly, get outside. That's like the number one thing I tell all of my clients. If you haven't read Go Wild, it's like one of my favorite books I read this year is um, Go Wild by Dr. John Rady. And, um, there's another author. What's his name? Um, Richard Manning wrote that book as well. And, you know, just get outside, move outdoors and getting outside means just out your door. You don't have to live in Colorado to get outdoors. Like, you know, that's, that's, you know, I'm, you know, unique in that I have some really cool outdoor things to do, but get outside. It'll, it'll completely change your life. Huge. So if you could get any study, so research study done on exercise science or mental health, you had an unlimited budget, all the experts in the world, what would it be? What do you think we're missing in the research? Yes, I love this question. And for me, I think it would be utilizing ice baths to mitigate anxiety symptoms. So for I have this strong inkling that we can use a stressful situation that's controlled in a health, you know, in a safe environment like an ice bath to actually mitigate and diminish anxiety symptoms. But it's just a theory, right? And I would love to have unlimited time, unlimited money, unlimited help with creating that. Because to me, I think what we've done a lot is you know, when we're getting, getting better at it with dealing with anxiety, but to me, I think we need to step into stress a little bit more and step into stress that's manageable, right. For the client instead of simply avoiding. So there is that compassion, right? There is that tenderness, but we always have to choose to, to, to heal. We always, there always has to be an action that we internally have to do ourselves. And so I think there needs to be an understanding of how does stepping into control, controlled stress impact our anxiety levels and how can we, you know, you know, get those lower over time. I want to see the answers to that too. Tell me, how can our listeners connect with you? You mentioned social media. Can you share your Mm -hmm. handles and tell us more about how can, how we can get more information? Yeah, absolutely. So on Instagram, it is at true core health, everything spelled 
correctly, <laughs> uh, TRUE, Core and Health. And then um, people can absolutely um, reach out to me over my website as well. It's truecorehealth.com. Um, so your core, right, like inner sense of being, and then your body as well, your core, your strong core. So um, kind of that com- combination of the mental and the physical. And um, happy to receive, you know, you know, questions or comments over Instagram. Uh, I try to limit my use of that, but I um, I love it as a way to connect with other people. And, um, you know, email is great as well if, you, if people want to reach out over that um, through my website, through contact. Amy, any parting words of advice for our listeners? Keep it simple and just do things that are simple for you, for your health. And so if that means that you start with the basics, start with walking, just go, just do it and enjoy your health as it is right now and see how you can get better. So that's kind of what comes up for me. Thank you so much, Amy. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here today. We can't wait to hear more from you. And um, thank you. Just thank you for being here. (laughs) Yes, it's been an honor. And I am so excited to um, continue this relationship with you guys. Awesome. All right. Take care. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the summertime and getting outside. Yes, I will. All right. Bye. Thank you for being with us for this conversation with Amy Shank Morrison. Amy has a generous offering for our community. We're running a giveaway on our Instagram account at Neurohacker for two of our listeners to win a session of breathwork coaching over video chat with Amy. That contest will post on Monday, September 16th, so be sure to keep an eye out. If you like this episode, then please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and please share it with all your friends who are interested in living more balanced, healthy lives. Make sure to subscribe to Collective Insights wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.